Well, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you. Been a couple of weeks with the team in Kenya, Africa, and uh, we survived. <laughs> So, um, it was a great time. We, we did vacation Bible school for 500 plus kids in a school. We did some pastor training, some teacher training, some plumber training. We, I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. And uh, the team was fantastic. Did a wonderful job. You were well represented. In fact, the name Southside Christian Church brings smiles to people in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And that is true. And so, I, yes, thank you. Thank you for your generosity and your prayers and your concern and your support. Um, it's, it was a wonderful trip. And, uh, and so this morning, as this very Kenyan thing to do, I need to bring you greetings in the name of lots of Kenyans who wanted me to make sure that they uh, thanked you and brought, you know, brought their, their greetings and well wishes to you. So I bring you greetings in the name of Peter, our driver who has an incredibly difficult job driving around Nairobi, Kenya, but he kept us safe. I bring you greetings in his name and in the name of Fred, the head teacher of the school, and Byron, and uh, Everlyn, and Lynn, uh, who worked at the school, and even Tim and Alicia Stewart, who are Springfieldians, who are now missionaries there, I bring you greetings in their name as well. So, I know for many of you those are just names, but there's so much more behind those names. So, greetings to you. Uh, for most of my early life, speaking of names, I, I didn't really know his name. And then I learned his name. I didn't really use it that much. Uh, I've called him, of course, lots of things, and he answers. He's very gracious that way. I suppose in a lot of ways he's not like, unlike my own dad. Uh, I don't remember, of course, but when I was born, I suppose I really called out to him mostly by crying, but he came running. And then as I grew up a little bit, you know, it started to become, you know, da or pop-pop or something, you know. And then as I got a little bit older, you know, I, I called him uh, daddy, and, and, and as things went on, things changed. I honestly don't remember when I, I learned that my dad had a name. His name is Les Wilson, and I probably thought, well, that's kind of weird. This guy that I've known my whole life? He has a name. That's my dad. This other, though, I, I didn't know his name, I think, for a long time. So I used to titles. Probably I first started speaking to him, I just cried, <laughs> help. And then with time, I suppose my first words to him sounded like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Do you know this prayer? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, that's a little creepy to teach a kid that prayer, I think, isn't it? It's a little intimidating, but that was my first kind of words and my first description of God, the Lord, and He listened because He's gracious that way. And through the years, I've used other titles. I suppose God is the most common, you know. And, and you may, after all, think, well, that's sort of his name, right? Because the Bible begins in those opening verses, in the beginning, God. And the Hebrew word for that is Elohim, which was kind of a common designation for gods in the ancient Near East. There were a number of Elohim, but that's where our God started to reveal himself to his people and to us. I suppose it's akin to da or pop-pop, you know. 
There are other titles. When God comes to Abraham, for instance, in Genesis, he says, I am God Almighty. And the, the Hebrew phrase is El Shaddai. El was the sort of the king of the Canaanite gods. And so this was way of, uh, God's way of describing himself to Abram by saying, I'm sort of like El, the king of the gods, but I'm so much more. There were others. Melchizedek blessed Abram in the name of El Elyon, the God Most High. Or Abram planted a tree once and he called on the name of El Olam, God Everlasting. It was language that would have made sense to Abram. And in his world, in a way, I suppose it's like daddy. And as hopeful as these titles are, and they are fine for you to use, there's no condemnation to use them. They're great. As helpful as they are, though, they are not his name. What is God's name? And does it matter? And what does that tell us about him? What's the significance there? Over the next few weeks, I want to explore this name of God who in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, you just saw uh, on the screens, we have one of the most compelling revelations of God in all the Scriptures. And I want to walk through that just kind of phrase by phrase over the next few weeks as we reacquaint ourselves with a God who has a name, and ultimately, I hope you remember or even maybe discover or discover afresh how powerful it is that God gives his name to you, that God wants to be in relationship with you. He shares something of himself with you. He's close, as close as whispering his name. Well, first, a story. In uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 33, we get this mountain conversation that happens there. You see, long after Abram had left the story of God, after he passed away, his family became a nation, and that nation became slaves in Egypt. And you can read about that story in the book of Genesis or the first of Exodus. And the people of Israel begin crying out to God in their slavery, in their misery, and God comes running because he's gracious that way. And through incredible miracles, you remember, God defeats the, the gods of Egypt one after one through the plagues, turning the Nile to blood and, and humiliating Hopi, the Egyptian god of the Nile. Or God fills the land with frogs to taunt uh, Heket, the Egyptian goddess of fertility who had the head of a frog, you know. Or God blots out the light of the sun to stick it to Ra, the sun god of Egypt, you know, over and over and over again, even down to taking the Egyptian firstborns including Pharaoh's firstborn, who is considered the son of a god. This creator god responds to the cries of his people. He liberates them from these Egyptian oppressors and their gods. So Israel travels through the Red Sea into the desert on their way to the promised land, and along the way it's a bumpy ride. Now, having driven around parts of Africa and the Middle East over the last couple of weeks, I've got a whole team of people who could tell you a whole lot about a bumpy ride but leading God's people is the prophet Moses. And the story says, Exodus 33, that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And in Exodus 33, we get to eavesdrop in on a conversation. You see, Moses, as he got the law of God on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel began to create a, a golden calf, and they began to worship that. And so God threatens to withdraw his presence in his holiness away from his people as his people run away from him. And then we get into this conversation, Exodus 33, starting in verse 12, which is on page 72 in those Bibles there in front of you. This is the conversation that's had. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. 
You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, here's the purpose, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then my favorite leadership quote of all time, remember, this nation is your people, God. (laughs) And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God flexes his, his plans in this conversation with Moses, and Moses says to him in verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And Moses said... Now show me your glory. In the ancient uh, literature of uh, Hebrew literature, in the book of Exodus, for instance, to, to speak of God's glory was to speak of his presence and his beauty. Moses wants to see God for who he really is. He wants to experience God fully in relationship. And so God tells him, verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So God, this God, has a name. Eh, what's in a name, though? Maybe you don't think it's too big of a deal. After all, in our day and age, a lot of times kids are named and it's really flippant or maybe doesn't mean all that much. I remember a little boy that I met last year in Kenya, about three years old, He's one of the few kids that I remember there who was as wide as he was tall. And so when we run, ran to play games or, or whatever, the, the, the teachers, they'd love to watch him run because he just sort of sauntered, you know, just a big old sauntering. And so they'd make him run twice just to watch it. Just a big kid. And so his parents named him Tyson after an American boxer. What's in a name? Years ago, a baby was born in New York, and the parents named him Amateur because, well, when asked why, they responded it was the first thing they saw when they got to the hospital, the sign for the Albany Medical Center Hospital Emergency Room, A-M-C-H-E-R. What is in a name anyway? Some people even make mistakes when they come up with a name. A story is told in the book called Freakonomics. A judge named Dennis Dugan had a 15-year-old girl come into his courtroom who had gotten into lots of trouble, lots of bad behavior. She was bringing men into her home when her mom was off at work. Her name was Temptress. And the judge asked the mother in the trial, why in the world would you name your daughter Temptress? And she said, well, I'd like the Cosby show. And there was this actress on there, and I really liked her name. And the judge says, wait a minute, her name is Tempest Bledsoe. And she says, sure, I know that now. (laughs) What's so important about a name? Well, again, in the ancient Hebrew culture, a name was, was way more than just words that filled out your email address or a nice amusement on the side of a Coke bottle, although it is still pretty exciting for me if I see my name on a Coke bottle, but... It was way more than that. It was a a one-word identity statement. It spoke of your destiny. It spoke of your value in the world. It was a a one-word moniker for your inner essence. Uh, Michael Knowles, an Old Testament scholar, says this, in the world of the Hebrew Scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity 
origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose the bearer was intended to fulfill. Names revealed the person. Just think about all those Old Testament names like Abram, whose name meant exalted father, and then God renames him Abraham, father of many. It, it, it spoke of his destiny. It spoke of his, of his God-given mission in the world. Or, or Jacob, whose name meant heel grabber, a Hebrew idiom for a deceiver. You know, he deceived his way into his father's inheritance. He was deceived by his father-in-law. God changed his name to Israel, which means he wrestles with God, and he, both he and the nation that bears his name have been wrestling with God ever since. Names were your autobiography in one word. So Moses on Mount Sinai asked to see God's glory, and God says, I'll do one better. I will proclaim my name in your presence. It's an incredibly significant moment. God is going to reveal something deep to, about himself, his, the deepest reality of his being, which happened in Exodus 34. Keep reading in this tablet conversation now. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. You may remember Moses coming down from the mountain, saw the people worshiping the golden calf, and he chucked the tablets down the mountain at them. Be ready in the morning, God says, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. And he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. Look at verse 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. This is God's greatest self-disclosure statement on this side of Jesus. This is a brilliant moment where Moses, for the first time, hears God's sort of full name, his full character in this moment. And because it is so massive, according to Old Testament scholar John Salehammer, this is quite possibly the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. Dozens of times it shows up. Moses and David and Jeremiah and Jonah and Nehemiah and Nahum, they quote it and argue with it and believe it. And when God describes himself, he starts with his name and he shares his character. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you believe this about this God? This is what God is like. John Mark Comer, the pastor, makes the point that when we talk about God, a lot of times where we begin are with the facts. You ever notice that? You know, what's God like? Well, he's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Those are all true, of course. But it'd be a little bit if, like, you asked me about my youngest son, Logan. You know, tell me about Logan. And it'd be like if I said, well, you know, he's uh, 15 years old, he's uh, about six feet tall, 150 pounds, brown eyes, brown hair, very strong video gaming thumbs. 
those are the facts. Those are true. And you're probably like, yeah, that's fine. But what, what's he like? You know, what, what's his personality like? What makes him him? You know, and then I'd have to say, well, he's pretty laid back. He's, uh, he's very verbal when you get to know him. Um, he hates to shop. Mall is a four-letter word for him, I'm afraid. And um, he's got a brilliant memory. He can remember verses and lyrics like nobody. And I even give him the nickname Jukebox. I mean, it's amazing what he can remember. That's more of an introduction. Get to see a little bit behind the veil. That's what God's doing here in Exodus 34. And it's amazing. I want to do a little exercise with you this morning. In your bulletin, you were given a name tag. If you open up your bulletin, just pull that out for just a moment. And here's what I want you to do. For the next couple of moments, just take that out. Uh, Write your first name on there. And then maybe just leave enough space for two or three words or a couple of phrases that just sort of introduce you, more than the facts. You know, who you are, what you like, maybe what you don't like. Please don't write the name of the person sitting next to you if that's the case. (laughs) Take a couple moments, just write a few things down about who you are, and if you don't mind, just slap that on. And and today, we're going to see and call each other by name and maybe get to know one another. Take a few moments to do that here as we think about our names. Look forward to learning a little bit about each of you today. In essence, this is what God is doing in Exodus 34. He's sharing who He is, what He's like, what He values. In Jewish culture, verses 6 and 7, those are called the 13 attributes of God. And Orthodox Jews will pray through that Scripture on holy days like Yom Kippur before reading the Torah. It's also this, these words are chanted aloud during Torah reading uh, on fast days. It's like the John 3.16 of the Judaism. God has a name. So what's in God's name? Well, Before the mountain conversation, before this tablet conversation, Moses had a burning bush conversation. Do you remember that? On Mount Sinai, God appears to him in this bush that appears to be burning, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He basically says, I'm your dad's God. I'm your ancestor's God. And Moses uh, and God talk, and God invites him into this rescue mission back into Egypt, and Moses wants to know what he should tell the Israelites. When they ask about who this God is, he says to God, Exodus 3.13, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Because apparently going back and saying, hey, your daddy's God wants to set you free, just didn't really cut it for him. And then Moses' question here I think is fascinating. The the Hebrew phrase he uses is the the phrase ma-shemo, which means... Uh, what is his name? If you were an ancient Hebrew, that, that phrase, it would have kind of perked up your ears because that wasn't the normal way to ask somebody their name. Normally, you would, you would ask uh, Mishimka, which is, you know, literally, uh, who is your name? But that's not what Moses asks. He asks Mashimo. I can tell you're on the edge of your seats right now with Hebrew grammar this morning. But the significance of that is this. What he asks is essentially more like, what is the meaning of your name? What is the significance of your name? What makes you, you? That's what he's asking. It's not just, hey, God, what's the label we call you? It's, who are you? And in that conversation, the Creator speaks His name 
For the first time in the scriptural record, God says this, Eya asher aya. And we translate that lots of different ways. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Maybe even whatever I am, I will be. It's a description of God saying, listen, if I'm compassionate now, I'm compassionate forever. If I'm loving now, I'll always be loving. I am who I am. I direct that myself. His name, that first part of the name, just four Hebrew letters, is called by the Greeks the tetragrammaton. The, the, the name of God founded on the verb to be. So when God says his name, it's... Eya, I am. But when we say, say his name, we say he is, which sounds a little bit closer to Yahweh. Yahweh, he is. There's a lot going on in this name. In fact, there was a belief in the ancient Hebrew world that if you named someone, you wielded power over the one named. But this God, he does not take his name from anyone. This God reveals his name. No one has power over this God. He is Yahweh. And once that was established in Exodus 3, God said to the Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, see every time in your English Bibles you see that word Lord in kind of all caps, that's this name, Yahweh. Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name, forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And when Moses heard that name afresh on the mountain, after the plagues of Egypt, after the Red Sea rescue, after the law of God given, he fell on his face and worshiped. Because our God has a name. Our best pronunciation of that name is Yahweh. And he gave his name to us. There's intimacy there. There's vulnerability. There's risk there. God wants to be in relationship with us. And so he offers his name. As A.W. Tozer writes, God waits to be wanted. He's aching for a relationship with us. He shares his name. The question is, what will we do with his name? Over the next few weeks, I want to walk through Exodus 34 and just talk about his name and his character there week by week. And in the meantime, I just want to invite you up onto that mountaintop with Moses, into that cloud, to hear his name afresh. And let me challenge you with a few things uh, through this series. Uh, first of all, I hope you'll get to know his name. In fact, let me challenge you over the next few weeks to memorize Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Read it over and over and over again. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faith. Just read that, memorize that. Uh, also, get to know his name. Maybe you, uh, you may have seen there's a book at the Information Center. For $10, you can uh, read a book that uh, the series is based on, get to know some uh, more depth about this, this passage and, and what this has to say about who God is. Just get to know his name. Uh, second, I hope to challenge you to call on his name. Psalm 105 puts it this way. It says, give thanks to Yahweh, to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. I wonder if you would call on the name of God. In fact, would you just say the name Yahweh with me together? Ready? Yahweh. If you're here and you're, man, you're hurting this morning or you've had some bad news this week and you just don't know where to begin again, start with his name. Would you say it with me? Yahweh. 
If life is going great and you're, you know, the job is wonderful and the kids aren't in jail yet, you know, just say his name. Say it with me. Yahweh. Give thanks to his name. Or maybe you're coming in here and you, you have no idea who this God is. You don't know even where to begin. Maybe you're, you feel stale in your relationship with God. You don't know where you fit in his mission. Just begin again with his name. Say it with me again, will you? Yahweh. Call on his name. And finally, I hope that you will honor his name. You know, we live, we live in an OMG world. We live in a world where people are asking God to damn this thing or that person all the time. Don't let his name become a flippant or an angry thing you say without honor. Come up into the cloud of Moses. Hear his name afresh. And I think, I think if we do, we will fall on our face in worship as well at the mention of his name. Let's pray. Yahweh God, it is an amazing thing to know your name, that you would stoop down to us, would share who you are, May we honor that name. May we call on that name. May we find great relationship with you in that name. And ultimately, Lord God, of course, of course, that name is best represented to us in Jesus. May we follow him and so learn the true meaning of your name. May we reflect that in our community and so share with the world who you are. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen.